Things Not Seen is made possible in part through the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them, please go to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash notseenradio. Thank you. From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media, LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. On today's show, we're quite serious when we say that laughter is the best medicine. We take a deep dive into the subject with Methodist pastor Jason Michelli as we discuss his new book, Cancer is Funny, Keeping Faith in Stage Serious Chemo. He takes us through his battle with the disease and talks about what it taught him, both as a pastor and as a human being. Stay tuned. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Reverend Jason Michelli. He's a United Methodist pastor in Alexandria, Virginia. He's earned degrees from the University of Virginia and Princeton Theological Seminary. He writes the Tamed Cynic blog and co-hosts the Crackers and Grape Juice podcast. He lives in the Washington, D.C. area with his wife and two sons. We're speaking today about a very serious subject because Jason Michelli has cancer. It's not that he's beaten cancer, it's that he is living with it as a daily reality. Jason has gone through chemo, he lost his hair, and when his hair grew back, it did not grow back thicker. He's written a book about his journey called Cancer is Funny, Keeping Faith in Stage Serious Chemo, in which he confronts all of the things that this made him think and feel and hope along the way. Reverend Jason Michelli, welcome to Things Not Seen. (laughs) Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I will be honest with you. I was absolutely terrified to have this conversation. <laughs> Why is that? Well, I, I I got your book as as a review copy, and uh, the person who who suggested that I speak to you, um, I I sort of wrote back to them and I said I'm not even sure how to begin to to address a topic like this with a title like this. So the name of your book is Cancer is Funny. And I'm just gonna I'm gonna start right at the basics. You you are a a person who has lived with and is still living with a cancer diagnosis. Uh, that's right. Um, I had surgery uh, in which they discovered a large eleven by eleven inch tumor in my intestine about two years ago today. Actually, um, I then completed a, a year of really intense chemo, um, and now I'm at the stage where I. I get one day of maintenance chemo uh, a month, but otherwise I'm back to normal. Well, so there, there's there's several things that I want to just start and unpack there. First sure. of all, my, my understanding is that the type of cancer that you had was a cancer that is not normal for a person your age. And so can you tell our listeners a little bit about what they found when they when they went in and they started sort of looking around your intestines? Yeah, um, so, so I, I had had... A, probably six months of just on and off really bad abdominal pain and visits to the doctor and things like that hadn't really hadn't really found anything and it would go away for long enough that I would kind of put it out of mind and then it would come back um and then it got so bad that 
just for like a week or, or more. And that eventually led me to a GI doctor um, who told, sent me for a CAT scan. And at the CAT scan, I was told that I would hear back, you know, five to seven business days. And then that evening, I'm getting a, are you sitting down phone call. Um, and so the pain was caused by my intestine telescoping in on itself. Um, and the doctor told me that was likely caused by pressure from a tumor. Um, so I had surgery the next day, uh, emergency surgery. And I, and I woke up from that to my wife telling me that, you know, they'd taken this this tumor out of me that was the size of, you know, a Bible um, and that they hadn't done a biopsy yet, but I likely had one of five rare cancers. And then over the next few days, I was told that I had something called mantle cell lymphoma, uh, which normally affects a, a very small percentage of men in their 60s or 70s. Um, and, and, of course, my first question was, you know, what, what stage is it at? And my oncologist tried to explain to me that by the time mantle cell presents itself, it's already so advanced, it's hard to stage. And so he just deflected my question with uh, calling it stage serious. And so I, I kind of took that and ran with it as far as how I referred to it. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Reverend Jason Michelli about his new book, Cancer is Funny, Keeping Faith in Stage Serious Chemo. Now, you, you've said that uh, that part of how they dealt with this was surgery, but then they also uh, gave you chemotherapy. And for those that have not lived on this planet but may be listening, um, when we talk about chemotherapy, what exactly is involved in, in that kind of endeavor? What, what, is it, what, is it, what is done to you, and what does it do to you? Oh, gosh. <laughs> what doesn't it do to you? Um, so there's different regimens based on the different sort of cancers that you have. The regimen for mantle cell, um, the most aggressive regimen is called R-hyper-CVAD. Um, and so that's a, a mix of five drugs that I would take um, one day per week through um, a port that they installed into my chest. Um, and so I would do those for a, a week. Um, and those would have side effects like um, anemia, um, incredibly low white blood cell count, um, which would lead to infections, um, my really low platelet counts, so I was needing constant blood transfusions, um, and then just, you know, hair loss, nausea, um, that sort of thing. So what I'm hearing you saying is that your your body was basically um, completely medicalized in this process, that you you went from having what we would consider sort of a normal American uh, early, sort of late late youth, early middle-aged life to having a life that was kind of completely taken over by the attempt to stave off and fight uh, this this disease. Is that is that a fair way of characterizing what, what happened to you? Yeah, I, I, um, when I first, I mean, I, as a pastor, I, I've known, I don't know how many people have gone through chemo, but it was my first experience with it. And so I did a little research waiting for my first dose in the hospital one night. And um, and so I discovered, you know, that, that chemotherapy, most of the general chemotherapy drugs that are administered um, were discovered by accident um, through chemical warfare uh, in the world wars. Um, and so so really it's it's a mustard gas-derived medicine. And, and that's a, you know, that's, Inappropriate irony, I think, because the the idea of chemo is to uh, get get you as close to killing you as possible 
uh, in the hopes of killing the disease w- without actually doing away with you. Uh, and so, any, I mean, I, I just had my maintenance chemo last week, and the nurse brought to me my bag of chemo, and I needed to identify and confirm my name on the bag and my date of birth and my social security number. And, and right there underneath all of that information on the bag was the warning that, you know, this may cause leukemia. Um, and so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's tough stuff. You're listening to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and if you're just joining us, we're speaking today with Reverend Jason Michelli. He's the author of the new book, Cancer is Funny, Keeping Faith in Stage Serious Chemo. And we are indeed talking about serious things today uh, in talking about his journey through his cancer diagnosis and recovery. You, you mentioned that, uh, that warning in your preface to the book, and that kind of stopped me short, and it made me really realize that, uh, that what, you're, what you're doing in this particular moment is you're bringing something into your body that is literally a poison in, mm-hmm. a, in an attempt to—you're you're bringing in a poison in an attempt to kill the thing that will kill you quicker than the poison will. So it's a, it's a game of odds almost. Yeah, I mean, the, the, as a preacher, the way I thought about it was— you know, where Jesus says that you have to lose your life in order to gain it. And I've always turned that into a metaphor. Um, but, but suddenly it felt very real and literal to me. Well, let's, let's pivot to that because you are uh, a pastor. You, you pastor a United Methodist church. Mm-hmm. Were you, let me, let me first of all ask, were you raised United Methodist? Is this your childhood faith or did you come to this faith later in life? Uh, I know I did not grow up in a religious home at all. And then when I was 16 or 17, my mother one Christmas Eve just announced that we were um, going to church. And the way I like to think about it is that, you know, the record of my life just screeched off key. And and we went and for about a year, I was very cynical about it and snotty um, and a smart ass about it. And and it was probably about a year or more. I just realized that I had been praying the prayers and singing the songs, and that and that I believed. And so faith for me uh, snuck up right before I went to college. And realizing that I'd become a Christian uh, was almost a matter of hindsight, which I think is often how it works with God. Um, and so I didn't grow up in the faith. Um, I didn't grow up United Methodist. Uh, the pastor who was the pastor at that church at the time, though. Uh, is the pastor who uh, I serve with on staff now. So it's it's been a nice story arc to my life. That's fascinating. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you you had no faith at all, and then one day your mother just decided to to take you all to church, and then as you were exposed and exposed, you sort of looked backwards and realized that that a faith had had grown with you or grown in you. What do you know? What your what made your mother suddenly make that decision? I, I think it was because. Um, I had grown up in a home where my father was um, a severe alcoholic, and then my parents eventually divorced, and a lot of chaos and upheaval and anger and all sorts of things in my childhood. And uh, so I, I think my mother was afraid of who I was becoming uh, as a man, and so it was sort of an intervention. Um, and 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 it just so happened that it was United Methodist Church down the street that was relatively new that we went to. It wasn't there was no. No intentionality beyond that that it was just there and um and i and I do think I do believe uh theologically that you know becoming a christian is is learning a language by by and large, and so just by being habituated there i I was given a language like, almost against my will to kind of narrate my experience and 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 really that's that's what I've done since I got cancer too is to explore how this language 
can can navigate my way through suffering. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Reverend Jason Michelli. He's a United Methodist pastor in Alexandria, Virginia, and we're talking about his new book, Cancer is Funny, Keeping Faith in Stage Serious Chemo. We'll be back in a moment. Hey friends, before we begin the show, I wanted to take a moment and talk to you about a new podcast from my friend, the Reverend Kat Banakas. It's called The Holy Holy Podcast, and each episode, Kat takes this big question like dying or careers or how to be single and Christian, and she talks about it with experts from across the nation, sometimes from across the world, and then at the end of the show, she puts it to a three-person panel that includes a representative of the Muslim faith, the Jewish faith, and the Christian faith. It's always a fantastic conversation. I always learn something when I listen to it, and I just love the fact that she's doing it. So I hope that you'll take a look for the Holy Holy Podcast. You can find it through iTunes. You can find it at holyholypodcast.com. So that's the Holy Holy Podcast with the Reverend Kat Banakas. Give it a listen. I know, I know you're going to love it. Thanks. Okay, here we go with the show. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're rejoining our conversation with Reverend Jason Michelli, author of Cancer is Funny, Keeping Faith in Stage Serious Chemo. What's interesting to me is just in everything that you're saying, several things that I want to reflect on. But the first thing that comes to me is, in addition to the notion of the Incarnation, there are also those powerful lines from both Ecclesiastes and Job, you know, the notion of all flesh perishing together, mm-hmm. and, and Ecclesiastes talking about the withering of the body and the withering of the bodily faculties, and you you have lived that in a way that, that many people who read the book of Ecclesiastes are really kind of only looking, looking towards as a future event, mm-hmm. but you now have it both as a, as a future but also as a, as a present event. Yeah, it's, but I, I, I'm sorry. Go I, ahead. I, I mean, no, please go ahead. The way I think about it, I just made an offhand comment to someone recently, is that I, I feel a little like Lazarus, um, in that I, I've been, I've been brought back from the dead to die again, um, and so I, it's, it's, it's a interesting spot to be in. I mean, and you, and you pointed out too that yeah, it's both something I've experienced and something I'll experience again. And what's interesting is that when we talk about the Incarnation and moving from that into the Resurrection, that's also what we're told in the Christian faith that Jesus has done for us. He's the first fruits of, of our own earthly experience moving into a transcendent experience. But I, I love the, the image of Lazarus. I don't love it, but I mean, I, I think that it's a very evocative image in the sense of, I mean, it's terrifying to, to think that you have passed the precipice into a, a state of decay, and come back into a state of life. And is there a wisdom that comes with that? Is there is there something that you that you then can begin to share? And the answer, of course, is yes. With your book, Cancer is Funny, you begin to share the insights and the wisdom that you gained from that experience with your readers. So I, this is just this is a powerful thing for me. Yeah, I, I think, and and um, I mean, first to double back on the the Ecclesiastes thing, I, I think one of the one of the takeaways I, I learned that was important to me in my suffering is the Christian conviction that death is not natural. You know, as natural as it is and comes to all of us and we're all like grass, the, the New Testament's witness that death is is the enemy, 
with a capital E, and that is is universal and natural as it is. It's something that is an invasion or a privation of God's creation. I, that grammar was very important to me as I met other people who suffered and who had been done great and grave harm by lazy Christian speech. Um, and so I, that was that, that was a new use of the language that became important to me. Um, and, and as I met people who had been done damage by religious rhetoric or who had unresolved grief from someone they know who had cancer, it, it became important to me to just, okay, well, here's this language we have as a Christian, and how can I use it to narrate my experience in a way that might be genuine and authentic and an example for someone else? You had mentioned that Christianity was a narrative that grabbed you at a particularly uh, low point in your in your late adolescence, and you you mentioned that you despised your body and and many aspects of your life. It reminds me of my own experience. I also was raised without a, a faith, and and when I was and as a Methodist, you'll like this. I w- in many ways I was brought into my Christian faith by a hymn. Even though I'm not Methodist, it's uh, Episcopal hymn number 458, and the first stanza of it is, My song is love unknown, Mm -hmm. my Savior's love to me, love to the loveless shown that they might lovely be. Oh, who am I that for my sake my Lord should take frail flesh and die? And when I read those lines, I I feel uplifted and affirmed in a way that I don't by almost anything else. And it sounds like you had a similar experience in encountering Christianity, that you also could be loved by this God that chose to take on the flesh that you at that moment were despising. Am I hearing that right? Yeah, I, I, um, in addition to all the family issues that I grew up in, I, I had a horrendous, um, a very bad case of acne um, all through my teenage years. Um, you know, and I went through every round of medication possible for it. And, and one of the medicines I learned later in CPE uh chaplain training that I did, you know, it was a medicine that had formerly been used to treat leprosy, um, which just seemed, <laughs> you know, in hindsight, it seemed incredibly appropriate um, that this, you know, this Jesus guy who was willing to embrace lepers before he healed them had somehow surprisingly touched me as well. That's fascinating. So, so you, I mean, what I'm hearing you saying, and you pick up on this in the book, Cancer is Funny, as well. You are talking about your external appearance, things like acne, mm-hmm. but you also you also read that very much into an internal state. And in, there are several points in the book where you say, well, outside I looked like this, and I, I looked like I was going through this, but inside I was feeling this, and it was a lot worse. And it, it sounds like that's been a something that you have been wrestling with and grappling with through most of your life. Am I hearing that correctly? Yeah, I, there's, a, there's a Lyle Lovett song I quote in the book called The Fat Girl, and it's just about... A girl who plays the piano in, inside her house because the kids make fun of her and call her fat, and her mother tells her that she doesn't mean it. And then the song sh- quickly shifts to she's a grown woman and she's beautiful and she's still playing the piano and she sings about love and um, blind compassion, but she doesn't mean it. And I, and I think the the power of the song is that you know those who like to say you're beautiful on the inside often have the luxury of being beautiful on the outside, um, and that. You can only see yourself as loathsome for so long before it starts to pockmark your heart. Now, you've mentioned at several points in the conversation the notion of suffering, and certainly when you were going through your rounds of chemotherapy, you were suffering. Mm -hmm. 
but you've you've also expressed that you you know you grew up in a in a household with an alcoholic father and with all of the emotional problems that that go along with that and you so in one sense there's there's a there's a, an arc to this story that is kind of melancholic mm-hmm. but you chose instead to focus on the humor you chose instead to say no there's there's something funny in all this and very early on in the book you say cancer is funny not because it makes you go ha 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 but cancer is funny because it strips away all of the affectations and i'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. but it it basically it, it makes you honest in a way that nothing else makes you honest and when when you when you said that in the book i thought about what we used to hear from the middle ages about the court jester and that the court jester was the only one in the kingdom that could say to the king the truth yeah yeah and 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 so am i am i reading right in in what you were saying in the book that there's there's this there's this parallel that humor can bring about an honesty that nothing else can i i yes i definitely i cuz i i believe I mean, especially in a culture like ours that i mean is just you know determined and tight sphinctered to deny death and mortality that uh, I, I think the vulnerability that comes with something like cancer just it forces you to to be honest i mean i mean like i woke up in the hospital you know to a team of nursing students who wanted to you know learn how to remove a catheter um and, and so i'm just thrust in this position where like okay well you know, I guess we're doing this now, and there goes my pride, and, and this is just the new normal. Um, and so it's and 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 like I, what I mentioned before about chemo being derived from mustard gas, um, you know, that was intended to be used against the Allies. There's there's an absurdity inherent in the experience of cancer that lends itself to to both truth telling humor and, and gallows humor. But when you were saying that, since we're talking about Methodism and we're talking about music, uh, the moment when you mentioned the nurses who wanted to sort of observe how a catheter was removed, I thought about the uh, the song "Your Body Is a Wonderland." That <laughs> can't it all be what the what the songwriter meant? But in in one sense, I mean, this is what this is what our society does, right? It takes it takes human bodies and it makes them into objects. Yep. And in, when you when you enter medical space you become a medical object for that space. And so you become an object to be fixed, mm-hmm. like a broken car. Or you become an object to educate people, like uh, like a medical model or a skeleton in a classroom. Yeah. And and those experiences, having lived through them, all right, how did that make you think about the experience of your parishioners on a day-to-day basis? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. Um, it made me realize... So on the one hand, it made me realize that it's not just about our bodies. Um, and, and one of the things I complain about in the book in kind of a humorous fashion is how at every stage of my experience and every facet of my treatment, I want, people wanted to probe me with measuring my pain on a 1 to 10 scale as though you know human pain is common and universal to all of us. Um, and, and I think that's a mistake born out of the objectification of our bodies that we're just, you know, we're just these, you know, we're just copies of each other. Um, and, and we can all be gauged on this one to 10 scale, uh, and not realize that pain is interior and unique to each of us. Um, so on the one hand, it made me realize that, that you know, for my parishioners, when they, when they go through suffering of their own, it, it's, it's about more than just their body. 
um, which I guess is strange for a pastor to realize after 15 years, but it, but it, it did hit home to me. Um, and then the other part of it too is is it made me it reaffirmed for me the importance of the body and of touch um, because I especially my first my first week of treatment I and after surgery as well I, I would just wake up with these panic attacks um, which had never happened to me before um, and. I, and I wanted nothing more than, you know, just for my wife to be able to lay next to me and reassure me. And because of all the equipment um, and the, you know, the industrial hospitalized bed and all that, it just made it impossible. Um, you know, and, and what I experienced, I think, is, is what the elderly in particular experience, you know, from, from most of their golden years um, in medical treatment is, is the absence of a non-technical touch. You're listening to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Reverend Jason Michelli, author of Cancer is Funny, Keeping Faith in Stage Serious Chemo. We'll be back in a moment. Hello. David Dalt here. You may be wondering why we take time out of the podcast to have these little minute-long breaks with the crazy music underneath. The answer is simple. We are trying to design the podcast so that it pays for itself, and so these are places where someday we will have some advertising. Now, let's say that you have been interested in getting into some sort of podcasting advertising platform where you want to promote your product. We would be a wonderful mid-market solution for you, uh, particularly if you want to reach an educated audience that really, really likes stuff about religion. Uh, So that's what this is here for. So if you would like to learn more about advertising with us, you can go to advertisecast.com or you can contact us through our website. We would love, love, love to work with you. Thank you always for listening. Okay, back to the show. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. We're speaking today with the Reverend Jason Michelli about his new book, Cancer is Funny, Keeping Faith in Stage Serious Chemo. You just mentioned that it made you aware of the body, and I heard that kind of in two senses. I heard that both in the sense of your individual physical body, but also there's a way in which the the body of Christ is is factoring in mm-hmm. this and and the whole body of Christ and it it reminded me of a passage that comes midway through the book where you say cancer doesn't lead you to ask job's questions any more than faith arms you with job's answers what cancer does is thrust you into a community of people you didn't know existed people who are hurting every bit as much if not more than you yeah and that was just to me such a such an arresting moment in the book to realize that you're seeing your experience as a way of opening you to an empathy with people and you don't share their pain. You don't know what their pain is. You just said it's subjective, but you suddenly understand that they are in pain. Yeah. It's, 
That's and that's my beef with the book of. I mean, and I know the book of Job is a fable, and I can't ask it to do things it's not trying to do. But it, it, you know that there's something problematic that the book of Job is is a, a in a sense a, a one character drama that it's Job and his suffering directed at God, and, and yeah, there's some friends in it, but you know, Job never goes to the hospital and sees other people in the ER, and Job never sits in a waiting room and is surrounded by children with a cancer every bit as bad as his. And so I, I, as a pastor, I'm, you know, I'm aware of people's suffering. It's just, you know, when I wasn't receiving chemo, I was at the doctor every day for blood tests and transfusions and, and all sorts of things. And, and so, you know, for a year, I spent every day in this waiting room surrounded by small children and teenagers and, you know, 20 somethings and older people and, you know, gay and straight couples, just the whole spectrum of humanity um, all of whom were suffering something, you know, just nearly as bad as me, if not worse. Um, and so I, I think you, you have to be a morally deaf person to just ask, why is this happening to me, God? And and really, I think the, the Christian question to ask is, you know, if, if this is the best of all possible worlds that God has made, which I think our faith requires us to say, you know, then then the the question is, then why does it have to have something like cancer in it, or the suffering of children? As you're going through this, it leads you to to get mad at God, to cuss out God. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a family show, so we we keep it clean. But but you you Good use warning. language that yeah, but, but but you use language that expresses just the depths of despair and anger and frustration throughout the book in terms of the ways that you were wrestling with all of this. Yeah, I think. Um... You know, as a pastor, it's my job to model how to do the faith, and so it seemed weird to me to not to want to do cancer behind closed doors. Um, you know, now that this most significant thing had happened to me and my wife, that you know, I, I felt like I needed to do it as authentically as Jason as I could, and and that involved, you know, that involved being funny, it involved being snarky and silly, and it, it involved, you know, being honest about my feelings and and dropping words that, you know, might offend because that's, you know, how I speak and that's what I was feeling. And, um, and I think that the people I encountered who had cancer of their own or who had someone who'd gone through it, they, what they really need, I felt is permission to do it and express themselves and, and question their faith as authentically as possible. That, um, I, I, I get this sense with all the Christian kitsch out there and, you know, Christian books about cancer, and there's a lot of uh, of people needing to protect God, um, which I think on some level is is a lack of faith that we feel the need to do that. Um, and so, so I wanted, you know, I, I think I'm not going to protect God. I, I'm going to, you know, let God have every expression that that comes to me, uh, and, and trust that that I don't I don't need to make things come out right. Um, and, and in doing so, I think. I mean, we ha- we have an entire book of Psalms, you know, and and a good number of them are the Israelites expressing their rage and their doubt and their despair and, and the most visceral visceral type of language. Um, and so the the Christian need to keep up pretenses um, and keep up niceties about God, I, I think, are odd given our scripture and and ultimately not not helpful for people. 
When was the, the shift that made you say, I don't just want to share this with my parishioners, but I also want to turn this into something that could be shared with readers? What what was the genesis of, of this as a book? And to me, it seems like writing a book is must be an exhausting process. And so to be doing this and reflecting on this while you're going through this debilitating attack on your body seems to me to be... a very interesting sort of path to choose. So talk to me about the the mindset that went into saying, I need to, I need to write this out and not just talk it out or cuss it out. Yeah. I, uh, for me, I think on one level, it's be writing is how I work out my thinking. Um, and so the process of writing t- to some extent was me wrestling out with what I thought and felt about uh, my faith as it related to this. Um, so partly it was just personal reflection, but I mean, for me, it was the case. I mean, I was in the pulpit one Sunday and then I, I literally was just disappeared by cancer the next Sunday. Um, and so I, I, I needed to address why I wasn't there. And, and so the, I had to make the decision pretty early on how I was going to, to narrate, uh, what happened to me and whether I was going to do it privately or just do it as openly as possible. Um, and I remember there was a, a, a week interim between my surgery and my first round of treatment where I was at home recuperating from my surgery. And I had, a, you know, a number of church people stop by with food and cards and things like that. And I could just tell from all of, like many of their reactions that they were all like my, I mean, the way I put it in the book is that, you know, with cancer, I rip scabs off of people. Um, and so I, I just became aware that people had, unresolved grief about cancer in their own family. And so I just decided, you know, I was going to, to write about this for them. Um, and, I, and I think in some measure, the reason I, I made it funny is because I, I mean, even, even before my surgery in pre-op, you know, I, I was making jokes, not because I thought it was funny or I wasn't like terrified, but because I wanted my mom to be okay. Uh, and so, in large measure, I, I, the humor I adopted was, you know, my healthy or unhealthy way of trying to take care of the people around me. You mentioned at towards the end of the book that you, as a pastor, uh, are in the process of, of about to bury, or you've just buried someone who had the same cancer that you had, a, a, an elderly man mm-hmm. with mantle cell, and your attempt to make connections and kinship is powerful throughout the book. As you're reflecting on this, as you've been reflecting on this in the writing, you know, you're thinking about death, you're thinking about the recovery of the body, but it puts me right back uh, to your childhood and having grown up, and you mentioned that you wanted your mother to be okay, it was your father that uh, that created a lot of the emotional problems in some mm-hmm. ways with his alcoholism. Uh, you know, as you've been recovering for, for our listeners, as you've been recovering with your with your bodily health, what have you been doing for your emotional health uh, to recover from that alcoholic family experience? Uh, I mean, it's interesting that, I mean, the reason I'm able to write honestly about my family growing up is, is just that, uh, I mean, it's healed. You know, I think you can only talk about the wounds that have scabbed over. And, and so, um, 
cancer was incredibly, I mean, I, I mentioned in the book that, you know, cancer isn't useful at all. <laughs> um, there's, you know, no good that comes from it. But um, cancer was incredibly useful in pushing all of the baggage I had with my dad to the side um, and and really putting, putting things into scale um, that, you know, when I got sick, my dad showed up and that's not to say everything's healed or, you know, the past is forgotten or that, you know, we're best friends after years of not having a relationship. None of, I mean, that's not true, but it is true that, you know, when you, showing up is, is the most important thing I think for Christians. And, and that, um, was an incredibly healing thing for us. I love that phrase that showing up is the most important thing for Christians. I'm I'm told from reading Christian history that when the plague came in the Middle Ages, it was often the Christians that stayed in the cities to to tend to the sick. Mm. And so in the midst of of this experience, did you have saints? I mean, you mentioned the people that brought you food, but who were some of the people that really helped to bolster your spirit through this journey of healing? Yeah, it's um well, I mean, so I dedicate the book to a guy named Dennis. He's the one who brought me into the faith as a teenager, and he's my um, boss now, even though I do all the work. Um, and he was the first person I called when I found out that, you know, right after I got the are you sitting down phone call, um, I called him first because I didn't know how to tell, I didn't know how to break the news to my wife or my mother, and I needed someone that I could trust to do so. And so he, I called him first, and he, he was at our house that night, and he was there, when I had surgery that morning and he was, he sat with my wife and he was there when I woke up and, and, uh, and so, uh, I can't imagine having gone through this without him. Uh, there's a friend in my congregation whose name is Brian, who's his own mother died of cancer. And, uh, I mean, he played with my kids when I wasn't able to, he drove me to chemo. He, you know, made inappropriate jokes to my nurses. He caught me when I passed out from the chemo. He wiped me off when I threw up. Um, there's yeah a, a number of people like that that um i mean i don't know if i say it in the book but i the way i think about it is that a lot of these people in my congregation robbed me of my cynicism um that i got to see firsthand that you know they really are imperfect but committed christians if you're just joining us, you're listening to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with the Reverend Jason Michelli about his new book, Cancer is Funny. We'll be back in a moment. Earlier in the program, we talked about advertising, but there are ways to support Things Not Seen even if you don't have anything to sell. I just wanted to take a moment and give a quick shout-out and thank you to our Patreon supporters. Now, if you don't know what this platform is, it's a way for you to regularly give contributions that support our work every time that we release a new episode. It costs you just a little bit, like maybe the cost of a latte a month, maybe a dollar an episode, but it adds up because it aggregates with all the other people and ends up being a nice sum for us. Many of you have stepped up. We've only been doing this for a few weeks, but already the numbers are there, and I appreciate it so much. If you'd like to become a Patreon supporter, you can do it very easily. Just go to patreon.com. That's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash notseenradio. Thank you always for listening, and thank you especially for your support. We really do appreciate it. 
You're listening to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. We're speaking today with the Reverend Jason Michelli. He's a United Methodist pastor from Alexandria, Virginia. We're talking about his new book, Cancer is Funny, Keeping Faith in Stage Serious Chemo, published recently by Fortress Press. Well, as, as a pastor and as a person who thinks with theological reflectivity, what do you do with comments like that? Like, God is doing this to you for a reason, or God is putting you through this for a reason, and and how how do you, how should we respond when people feel the need to have that kind of sickly sweet, that kind of berry flavored covering over the chalky barium? I think there's oh gosh, I mean <laughs> there's there's different responses that I could give to that, but I I think um, too often the tendency is to not push back against that and to just want to empathize with the person who's giving it. Um, and maybe before I got sick, that would have been my tendency is just to kind of vaguely nod and, and let that person have their own theology. Um, but now that I've experienced in firsthand uh, what could have been theologically damaging uh, to someone else without a seminary degree. It, I, I think Christians need to be strong enough and savvy enough um, to call BS on things like that. Because cliches like that that say that God uses suffering for some good end completely run against the grain of the story that we have. Um, because, you know, the, the God we believe in and Jesus Christ takes on suffering and suffers it. That doesn't dole it out to people for, for any sort of, you know, providential ends. Um, and so, and, and so like when people would tell me things like that, I would, you know, if God does do that, then like, that's great. I don't believe in him. Um, but I, I think it really, I think you have to be as bald as, as that because, there's a very real sense for me in which the gospel is at stake in that. I think that that's true. And you mentioned earlier in the conversation that you would kind of let God have your anger because God was strong enough to take it and you weren't trying to protect God. I think that what I'm hearing you saying is that we also have to trust that Christians and Christian faiths should be strong enough to take the truth of this and that we shouldn't be afraid to speak about suffering in its honest reality. You call it the bald sense of it. I mean, that's it's it's there but it scares people, and we haven't. Mm-hmm. Go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I just. I mean, I, I, I say in the book, but I, I, I believe it is just one of my core convictions that I mean, the meaning of the cross is that there is no meaning. You know that I mean, God suffers the cross. You know, we put God on the cross, and God responds to it with Easter. Um, I mean, there, there is no good uh, of suffering other than the fact that God, you know, redeems it. And and I and I and I really do believe that God doesn't give us an explanation for suffering. God gives us a community of care called the church. Um, and so I, I I get that people want to have an answer and that they want to have an explanation. I just think Christians need to be the people who insist that um, you know that need to have an explanation you know is idolatrous, and we have to resist succumbing to it. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Reverend Jason Michelli about his new book, Cancer is Funny, Keeping Faith in Stage Serious Chemo. So you call it idolatrous. You mean that we make a god of comfort and a god of safety? 
I, I, I mean that if there is an explanation behind suffering other than the one given to us in Jesus, then that's what we should be worshiping. <laughs> I think that that's well said. Because <laughs> I, mean, that... <laughs> I mean, not to be, but I, I just, I, I think there's, there's something about, um, in the mainline church, especially in my experience, we have uh, esteemed being pastoral to being like the virtue above any other virtue. And I don't think it's inappropriate to be pastoral, but I do think that, you know, it's not appropriate to just jettison the whole plot of the gospel story in the name of being sensitive to someone else. And the plot of the gospel story is the man dies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just silly to think that like we're going to get out of life any better than Jesus did. But you, you remember that when, when Jesus has what's called the little apocalypse and I forget which gospel it's in, but he, he says to his core group of disciples, hey, no, I've got to go to Jerusalem and I've got to die. And their response is immediately like, stop talking about that. Don't, <laughs> don't say that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and one of the things I noticed, you know, when I writing the book is that uh, in the foot washing scene in, in John's gospel where, where Peter resists the foot washing, you know, like there's, there's one level where, you know, Peter doesn't want Jesus to have to stoop to this role of a servant. That's in the story. And that's what every preacher always preaches on. Um, but there's another fundamental level where, you know, Jesus has just told them like, he's going to die. And like, they are too, if they have a share in him. And, and you know, so like there's a, a first level reading of this where Peter, like Peter's resisting this because he doesn't want to die. Um, and that's, it's just, none of us get out of life alive. That, that's just a maxim that Christians should insist upon. So are you okay? Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I mean, the way I think about it is, you know, there's nothing true of me that isn't also true of you, David. <laughs> it's just, I'm yeah. a little more hyper aware of it. And, um, yeah, it's, you know, every day is different. Um, but I'm just glad to have it. You you mentioned that that well at the end of the book you you talk about it as the gravy that that mm-hmm. it's and and it's the it's the stuff that that's that's extra to the meal but it's what makes the meal so good. Yeah, I think I, I think I, I think I got that from Raymond Carver or something. I, I think you know Raymond Carver had been a severe alcoholic most of his life, and then you know towards the end of his life was able to like kick the bottle, um, even though he only had a little bit of time left. And I, and I think he referred to like the time he did have left as gravy. And, um, and then that's kind of how I feel. Like, I mean, you could say it's borrowed time or you could just say that's, you know, recess. Well, Jason Michelley, I, I, I will, I will just tell you that this was, this was a book that I, I did not want to read. <laughs> and that, that's and why then, you're not on the I, dust jacket. And then, and then I, then I read it and I was moved by so much of it and talking to you has been, has been just a wonderful expansion on, on what I learned from the book. And thank you. I I can't, I can't even begin to imagine what it's like to, to not only have lived through this, but then to put yourself in a public spotlight where people like me come up to you and ask you questions about it. Thank you for your graciousness and sharing, sharing from your experience. And, and I wish you, uh, the very best in, in what is, for all of us, an impossible situation, but as you said, it's it's acutely so. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. We've been speaking today with the Reverend Jason Michelli. He's a United Methodist pastor in Alexandria, Virginia. 
He earned degrees from the University of Virginia and Princeton Theological Seminary. He writes the Tamed Cynic blog and co-hosts the Crackers and Grape Juice podcast. He lives in the Washington, D.C. area with his wife and two sons. We've been talking about his new book, Cancer is Funny, Keeping Faith in Stage Serious Chemo, published by Fortress Press. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC. We're distributed nationally by PRX, the public radio exchange. Today's show was recorded and edited at the William Adams Studios here in Hyde Park in South Chicago, overlooking beautiful Lake Michigan. Our theme music is composed by Gene Keija. D.F. Edison engineered the show, and David Dalt did the editing. Our staff includes Travis Abels, David J. Dunn, Natasha Alford, and Alexander Badenoch. You can follow us on Twitter at Not Seen Radio. Visit us on Facebook and like our page to receive regular updates about the show and find out more about upcoming guests. That's facebook.com slash thingsnotseenradio. And you can sign up for the free podcast, listen to old shows, send us an email, and learn more about our guests if you visit us on the web at thingsnotseenradio.com. I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. Please join us.